word, right? But uh, my girls were happy, so that was good, right? That's great. Anybody else have a good Labor Day? Anybody have a bad Labor Day? Well, that's good. Nobody had a bad Labor Day. That's, oh, in between Labor Day, right? In between. All right. I'm not going to ask. I'm not going to ask. <laughs> All right. Hosea chapter 13. And uh, last week we looked from verses 1 through 8. And uh, tonight we'll be in verse number 9. Hosea chapter 13, uh, verse number 9. And we'll read from verse number 9 down to the end of the chapter. He says, O Israel, thou hast destroyed thyself. But in me is thine help. I will be thy king. Where is any other that may save thee in all thy cities? And thy judges of whom thou saidest, Give me a king and princes. I gave thee a king in mine anger and took him away in my wrath. The iniquity of Ephraim is bound up. His sin is hid. The sorrows of a travailing woman shall come upon him. He is an unwise son. For he should not stay long in the place of the breaking forth of children. I will ransom them from the power of the grave. I will redeem them from death. O death, I will be thy plagues. O grave, I will be thy destruction. Repentance shall be hid from mine eyes. Though he be fruitful among his brethren, an east wind shall come. The wind of the Lord shall come up from the wilderness, and his spring shall become dry, and his fountain shall be dried up. He shall spoil the treasure of all pleasant vessels. Samaria shall become desolate, for she hath rebelled against her God. They shall fall by the sword, their infants shall be dashed in pieces, and their women with child shall be ripped up. So think about this. As we look last week, God is um, explaining what judgment is going to come. This judgment that God was going to bring because of their idolatry. Uh, We saw that last week because... Uh, they were they were ungrateful, um, and they really, because of their turning away from God, God says this judgment is going to come. And yet, uh, in the same passage in verse number four, he says, Yet I am the Lord thy God from the land of Egypt, and thou shalt know no God but me, for there is no Savior beside me. And so all through the book of Hosea, as we're coming down to the end, all through the book of Hosea, God is... is really kind of declaring the case that he has against Israel. He's, he's, he's putting the case out there. He's saying, this is why judgment is going to come. This is what you've done wrong. This is how you've sinned, right? Uh, you've committed spiritual adultery. Uh, you've committed these wickednesses. You're, you're uh, committing idolatry. You're doing all these different things. So he's, he's laying the case and he says, this is why judgment is coming. But all throughout this, even though God has declared judgment, he still is a God of mercy, and he still offers them the opportunity to repent. He still offers them that opportunity to turn from their wickedness, to turn from what they're doing back to the Lord. And that's why he says in verse number four, I am the Lord thy God, for there is no Savior beside me. He says, look, nobody's going to save you from this judgment. I'm the only one that can do this, right? But then when we come down to verse number nine, verse number nine, really through the end of the chapter, is... Um, really God just showing that Israel has caused self-destruction. They have, ca- they have brought this destruction upon themselves. Okay? I mean, notice what he says in verse number 9. Thou hast destroyed thyself. God didn't destroy them. The other nations didn't destroy them. God says, you have destroyed yourself. This is self-destruction, Right? 
This is, this is just they have chosen to, to live the way that they want to. They have totally turned away from God. They've rejected God and everything that God has said. And God has said, you have brought this destruction on yourself. But then notice what does he say? But in me is thine help. Isn't God good? I mean, God has just said, look, you have brought this on yourself. You, you have brought this judgment. This judgment is going, to, it is going to come. You've brought it upon yourself, but in me is thine help. If you would just turn to me, God says, I would be the one to help you. I would be the one to deliver you. So what was it that is bringing destruction? What is this self-destruction? What is it that has brought this? Well, it is basically their low esteem of God. Their low esteem of God. They have turned away from the very one who had delivered them. That's why he says back up in verse number four. Yet I am the Lord thy God from the land of Egypt, and thou shalt know no other God but me, for there is no Savior beside me. He said, I was the one that delivered you. I brought you out of the land of Egypt. I defeated the, the false gods of Egypt. I opened up the Red Sea for you. I, I provided for you. I did all of these things for you, and you have turned away from me. They brought destruction upon themselves by their view of God. And even as Christians today, we can bring judgment upon ourselves because of our view of God. How do we view God? Is God holy and righteous and just to us? Or is he just a God that we make however we want him to be? He's only holy in the areas that we want him to be holy in. He's only righteous in the areas we want him to be righteous in. He's only just in the areas we want him to be just in. I mean, when, when God is dealing with other people, that's just, right? But when God deals with me, you're like, well, wait a minute, God, don't you love me? I, I mean, wh- why are you doing this to me, God? I mean, I understand if you do it to somebody else, but why me? Wait a minute, is God just? Is he righteous? Is he holy? You see, how, how we live our life is really determined by our view of God. If you think about it, hold your place here, go back to the book of Isaiah, chapter number 6. This was something Isaiah had to deal with. And again, remember, Isaiah is, is kind of a contemporary during this time as well of a prophet. Only Isaiah is dealing with Judah, the southern kingdom, right? So you have different prophets, um, during different times, some of them were contemporaries, some were to the southern kingdom of Judah, some to the northern kingdom of Israel. But watch what happens in Isaiah chapter 6, in verse number 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. And, it's, and above it stood the seraphims, each one had six wings, with twain he covered his face, with twain he covered his feet, with twain he did fly, one cried to another and said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, the whole earth is full of his glory, the door, or the posts of the doors moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke, then said I, woe is me, for I am undone. Because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts." What happened? When you look at Isaiah, you'll find Isaiah was grieved by, the, by King Uzziah's death. 
King Uzziah was, was dear to Isaiah. And when Uzziah dies, Isaiah basically thinks all is lost. What's, what's happened? And God says, wait a minute, I, Isaiah, whose eyes are you on? Are you on Uzziah the king or are your eyes on me? And here's Isaiah, he's mourning, he's thinking, oh man, everything's going, to, everything's going down the drain and, and, and the things aren't good anymore. Uzziah's dead and Uzziah was a king that actually tried to follow God and, and, and now Uzziah's dead and you've got trouble going on in Israel and now there's trouble going on in Judah and, and what's going to happen? And I, the Lord says, wait a minute, Isaiah, who are you looking at? Who are you looking at? And we can look around and you can say, oh man, everything's going, everything's going wrong in our country and, and we may not like who's in power and, and we're not sure what's going to happen and, and we're concerned about the future and we're concerned about our kids, we're concerned about our job, we're concerned about these different things and God is saying, hold on a second. Who are you looking at? Are you looking at all of those things or are you looking at me? Because when we get the right view of God, when we understand that God is holy, He's righteous and just, and God has not lost control of anything. If God has not lost control, why are we worried? If God has not lost control, then yes, we might think that there's turmoil going on, but we know, hey, God's still in control. He's holy. He's just. He's righteous. He knows what He's doing. And it was when Isaiah got his eyes back on the Lord and said, hey, you know what, Lord, you're right. I, I am not right here. I, I've sinned. I've gone against you. When he got his eyes right, then God was able to say, hey, by the way, I need somebody to go and preach for me. And Isaiah was like, here am I, Lord, send me. Right? But watch what happens. Come back to, come back to Hosea. He says, O Israel, thou hast destroyed thyself, but in me is thine help. Now watch in verse number 10. He says, I will be thy king. Where is any other that may save thee in all thy cities? And thy judges of whom thou saidest, give me a king and princes. He's asking, where is your deliverance going to come from? Where's your deliverance going to come from? Where is any other that may save thee in all thy cities? Who, who is going to rise up and be able to deliver you from this judgment that has come? What king have you had that can deliver you from the judgment that I'm going to bring? Who's going to do that? Well, it's a rhetorical question. <laughs> there is no king that's going to do that. In fact, he continues in verse number 11. I gave thee a king in mine anger and took him away in my wrath. Remember when God led Israel out of, out of Egypt and he brought them into the promised land and, and God uh, used Joshua to bring deliverance and then God used the judges and he mentions the judges here, the judges of whom thou saidest, give me a king and prince. So God did use the judges to kind of help them because God wanted them to be a nation that was different. God wanted them to be a nation that looked to God, not to man. But what happened was the Israelites began to look at all the other nations around them and said, hey, you know what they have that we don't? They have a king. They, they, have, a, they have a leader. They have someone that they can see. And we don't, we don't have anyone we can see. We don't have a king. And so they went to Samuel and they said, Samuel, we want a king. We want to be like all the other nations. Well, here was the problem. God didn't want them to be like all the other nations. God wanted them to be different. But they said, no, we want to be like everybody else. 
We want to be like everybody else. And you, if you go back to 1 Samuel chapter 5, or 1 Samuel chapter 8, in verse number 5, it says, they said, now make us a king to judge us like all the nations. Make us a king to judge like all the, all the other nations have a king. We don't. We need a king. And so Samuel goes to God. He says, God, what am I supposed to do? Uh, you're supposed to be their king, and they're wanting a physical king. And it grieved Samuel. What they were asking grieved Samuel. And this was God's reply in verse number 7. And the Lord said unto Samuel, Hearken unto the voice of the people in all that they say unto thee. And here's what he says. For they have not rejected thee, but they have rejected me. They've rejected me that I should not reign over them. They said, God, we don't want you as our king. We want a physical king like everybody else. We want to be just like everybody else. Well, let me ask you a question. When Israel came in to the promised land and all of these other kings were in the promised land, which one was able to defeat the Israelites? None of them. In fact, if you go back to the book of Joshua, if you go back to the book of Joshua real quick, Joshua chapter 12. Joshua chapter 12. And this, this, is, what he, this is what it says. In verse number 7. These are the kings of the country which Joshua and the children of Israel smote on this side Jordan on the west. Right? So he's going to list all the kings that the Israelite have smote. Right? And he begins to list them in verse number 9. The king of Jericho. The king of Ai the king of Jerusalem, the king of Hebron, the king of Jarmuth, the king of Lachish, the king of Eglon, the king of Gezer, the king of Debir, the king of Geder, the king of Hormah, the king of Arad, the king of Libna, the king of Adullam, the king of Makada, the king of Bethel, the king of Tapua, the king of Hefer. Yes, I know these are really cool words, right? The king of Aphek, the king of Lasheron. I just say him how it comes out, right? The king of Madon, the king of Hazor, the king of yeah, you can go ahead with that one. Uh, the king of Ashaph, the king of Tanakh, the king of Megiddo, the king of Kadesh. I mean, here's all the kings. What happened to these kings? They died. Because God led Israel through the promised land and all of these kings and all of these places they went to, all these people, they, they had no power and God smote every single one of them. And this is what Israel is saying. We want a king like all the other nations. Really? Why? Why would you want a king like all the other nations? God's already defeated all of these kings. I mean, we just read a, a list of kings that, that they, they were, there were 31 kings that Israel defeated. We want a king like everybody else. You understand why Samuel was so hurt by this when, when they were basically saying, God, we don't want you to be king. We want a physical king. We want to be like all the other nations. And this is why God tells to Samuel, they have not rejected you. They have rejected me. They rejected God from being their king. God was against them having a king. Did you notice what he said there in verse number 11? He said, I gave thee a king in mine anger. God didn't want them to have a physical king. That was never God's plan. God wanted to be their king himself. He wanted to be their king. 
You say, well, then why did he give them a king? Because that's what they wanted. Now, don't tell me you've never done that to your kids, right? They come up, mom, 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 mom. What do you want? I want candy. No, you can't have it. Mom, 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 mom. What do you want? I want candy. No, I already told you, you can't have it. Mom, 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 mom. And you're just like, fine, take it. Just go. Don't look at me like you've never done that, all right? I know every single one of you have, okay? If you've got kids, you've done that. Just go. Leave me alone, right? Now, you, you know you, they, didn't, they didn't need it. You know they shouldn't have it. But just to appease them, they're just like, take it and go. This is what God says. I gave them a king in mine anger. They kept saying, we want a king, 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 we want a king. God, we don't want you to be our king. We want a king. God says, I don't want you to have a king. We want a king, we want a king, we want a king. God says, fine. You want a king? Go ahead. You can have a king. God knew what was going to happen. And he's trying to keep them from it, right? And he says, fine, you can have a king. But then notice what he says, and took him away in my wrath. God was against them, but he let them have their way. And now, look where they were because of their king. Look where they were at because of these physical kings that they had chosen. They were under the judgment of God. Who had led them this way? The kings did. These kings, we say, well, you know, then the king should have been punished. Well, the kings are going to be punished, but they had a choice. They could choose to follow or not. They chose to follow wholeheartedly. I mean, you look at what's happening in Israel here. I mean, there wasn't really anybody opposing it. So God would take away their king in judgment for the wickedness that all of these kings had led them into. When you study, you'll find that Hosea, not Hosea, but Hosea was the last king of the northern tribes. Of Israel. Zedekiah would be the last king of Judah. Now, Zedekiah would not come until a little while later in Judah because Israel is going to be taken captive first because of their wickedness. Again, it was this wickedness that the kings had led them into. He says, I gave thee a king in mine anger and took him away in my wrath. But remember, remember what he said in verse number 10 I will be thy king. What did they say? We don't want you to be our king. I will be your God. We don't want you to be our God. I'll be your Savior. We don't want you to be our Savior. They completely rejected God. That's what brings self-destruction. When we completely turn away from God and say, God, I don't want you. I don't want you to be my God. I don't want you leading me. I don't want you telling me what to do. I'm just going to do what I want to do, and I don't care what you say. Let me tell you something. That's going to bring destruction. It's going to bring judgment, especially if you're a child of God. If you're a child of God and you're telling God, I don't really care about you, I don't really, I don't really care what you say, I'm just going to do what I'm going to do, that is going to bring judgment. And this is what's happening here. He says in verse number 12, the iniquity of Ephraim is bound up. His sin is hid. Now, they thought because it had been so long, again, we're talking hundreds of years have passed since Jeroboam became the first king of Israel. Many kings... They've had many kings now. And again, it was, it's, not, it's not that Israel ever had a good king. Okay? 
Israel, the northern, the northern tribes, the northern ten tribes, they never had a good king. They were all bad. It's not like there was a good one and a bad one and a good one and a bad one. That was kind of the way it was in Judah. There were some good ones. But in the northern tribe, they were all bad. They were horrible. They were all bad. And so this is what he says. The iniquity of Ephraim is bound up. His sin is hid. In other words, they thought because it had been so long and there was no judgment that they had escaped the judgment of God. Or that God had somehow forgotten about them and wouldn't do anything about it. Can I tell you something? God God doesn't forget. In fact, the Bible says very clearly, God will not be mocked. Now, you might think, well, you've somehow got away with it. But God says, I know exactly what you did. Oh, but look, it's been a week since I did it, and I haven't experienced any judgment, so maybe it's okay with God. It's been a month now, and I haven't got any judgment, so maybe God's forgot about it. Maybe it wasn't that bad. It's been a year now since I, since I did this, and, and it's not bad, and, and I've done it a couple more times, and I haven't received any judgment, so it must be okay. No, you better remember this. The iniquity of Ephraim is bound up. You know what he's saying? It's, it's bound up, it's, it's, it's compiling. It's growing. It's bound up. God says, though he has had patience with them, their sins have been stored up. He hasn't forgotten them. They're just building up. Why? Why? Why is God being patient with them and not judging them right away? Because he's giving them an opportunity to repent. He's giving them that opportunity. Why why did God tell Jonah, go into Nineveh and preach and say, in 40 days, judgment is going to come unless you repent? Did God have to give them 40 days? He didn't have to give them 40 days. But why did he do that? They were already a wicked city. God could have brought judgment upon them just like that and been done done with them. But he's a God of mercy. And even though he knew they deserved judgment, he said, I want to give them an opportunity to repent. Think about what happened in Sodom and Gomorrah. God said, hey, I'm going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. Abraham says, what if there's 50 righteous? What if there's 40 righteous? What if there's 30 righteous? What if there's 10 righteous? God says, if there's 10 righteous, I won't destroy it. What was he doing? He's giving them an opportunity to repent. No repentance. Sodom and Gadora, no repentance. Nineveh, they repented. And the entire city was saved. You can't say, well, God's just an, he's just an unloving God. He's just an unjust God. No, he is just. He is holy. He is righteous. He knows what he's doing. Well, why didn't, why didn't he save Sodom and Gomorrah like he saved Nineveh? Because they didn't repent. They didn't repent of their ways. Nineveh repented. Now again, remember, Nineveh is the capital city of the Assyrian Empire. The ones that enslaved the Israelites and killed many of them and and were going to be the ones that were going to be their captors again. But God saved them because they repented. God's saying, look, the reason why judgment hasn't come upon you, it's not that I've forgotten your sins. No, your sin is there. And believe me, there's plenty of it. But he's giving them that opportunity to repent. Notice what he says in verse number 13. The sorrows of a travailing woman shall come upon him. He is an unwise son. 
For he should not stay long in the place of the breaking forth of children. He compares the judgment coming to a woman in childbirth. This judgment, he says, the sorrows of a travailing woman shall come upon him. You'll look through scripture and you'll find this this picture of, of a woman in childbirth is many times used as a picture to show pain. The extreme pain that is there in childbirth. But here, Hosea takes a little bit of a twist to it. He says, the sorrows of a travailing woman shall come upon him. But then he says, he is an unwise son. And he says this, for he shall not stay long in the place of the breaking forth of children. Hosea adds something to the pain of childbearing. He gives us the idea that this baby that is ready to be born is past due. It's past its due date, right? Um, (laughs) I remember when our children were due in Uganda and because we lived five hours away from the capital, we would go several weeks early just to be on the safe side because we were five hours away and didn't want anything bad to happen. So we would go a couple weeks early and um, I don't know what it is about my kids, but they just all decided that they didn't want to come on time. So we would go about two weeks early and, uh, you know, inevitably every one of them, every one of them was late. The only one that wasn't late was our daughter Brianna, and that's because she had to have an emergency C-section, but all the other ones were just, they just didn't want to, didn't want to come out. They were just late. And so, I mean, again, we're, we're away from our home and we're, you know, waiting for our children to be born. We're in somebody else's house or we're in a hotel and, you know, we've been in there for two weeks and you're like, come on, just be born, would you? You know, and, uh, you know, and no, of course, they're going to, you know, they're going to wait, you know, three days, four days, five days, a week. <clears throat> you know, but this is a little bit different than that. This isn't just that the, the baby is late. It's it's overdue a couple of days. No, no. And this is this is interesting what he says here. He says, for he should not stay long in the place of the breaking forth of children. In other words, the mother is in labor. The mother is pushing. The pain of the childbearing is there. And this is why he, this is why he says he is an unwise son. Because the indication is that the child and Please understand, I'm not, I'm not trying to be crude or anything here like this, but this is just the example that he's giving. The child is too stupid to come out of the womb. In other words, the child knows that it's supposed to be born. The child is right there. It's ready to be born. The mother is in pain. The mother is pushing. The pain is there. And the child says, nope, not going to be born. You say, Pastor, that's impossible. A child can't do that. I under- it's an illustration, okay? Come on. It's an illustration, okay? A a nation doesn't actually, is not actually a baby either, but it's an illustration, all right? So go with it, okay? 
And so think about what he's saying. He says, the sorrows of a travailing woman shall come upon him. He is an unwise son, for he, shall, he should not stay long in the place of the breaking forth of children. So the mother is doing the work. The mother is pushing. The mother is in pain with this child trying to be born. And it's about to be born. It's about ready to come out. And then the child says, nope, not going to come out. And all of the work that the mother went through, the pain that she went through in, in getting the child to that spot, is he's like, nope, not going to matter. And it's all, it's all worthless. It's all pointless now because now she's going to have to go through it all again for this baby to be born. And he's saying, this is, this is how ridiculous Israel has been. This, this is how ridiculous they are. God has gone through, if you... God's not going through pain, but he's saying, look, I have brought you this far. I've done everything that is needed for you. And I've brought you to the promised land. I want to be your king. I want to be your God. And I've done everything that is needed. You're like, nope, not going to be my God. Nope, not going to be our, our king. Nope, not going to be our savior. He says, and this is what he says. He is an unwise son. This is what God is telling Israel. You are an unwise son. All the work and the pain wasted because the baby won't come out. And then we get to verse number 14. He says, I will ransom them from the power of the grave. I'll redeem them from death. O death, I will be thy plagues. O grave, I will be thy destruction. Repentance shall be hid from mine eyes. Man, what a verse. By the way, this is, this is part of a verse that, that Paul quotes in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We're going to get to that in just a minute. But think about this verse. He says, I will ransom them from the power of the grave. I will redeem them from death. O death, I will be thy plague. O grave, I will be thy destruction. That sounds like an incredible verse, doesn't it? And, and as, I, as I began to study this verse, there are really two views in how to, and how to look at this verse, if you could say. Now, they basically end the same way, but different ways of, of looking at it and getting there. One way is God is basically saying that he and he alone has the power to save them. In other words, I will ransom thee, I will redeem thee, right? And yes, we would all agree God is the only one that has the power to save them. And that's what he, he already said that back up in verse number four. He said that again in verse number nine. I am in thee and me is thine help, right? I, I, there's no other God but me. I'm the only one that can save you. But at the end of the verse, repentance shall be hid from mine eyes. So even though God has this power, he would not have compassion on them because they had rejected them. And so that's how... That's how some look at this passage. They're saying, God is basically saying he has the ability to save them. He has the ability to redeem them and to ransom them. But because of their rejection of him, he will not. And that's, that's, that's okay. I, I think you could, you could look at that. But I think there's something, something even more to this. It sounds like a verse of deliverance, doesn't it? I mean, think about it. I will ransom thee from the power of the grave. That sounds pretty good. I will redeem them from death. Pretty good. Oh, death, I will be thy plagues. Oh, grave, I will be thy destruction. It sounds like a verse of deliverance. 
But here's the question. Deliverance from what? Deliverance from what? And I think if we'll look at it this way, I think it'll become clear. He said, I will ransom them from the power of the grave. And then he says, I'll redeem them from death. Why, why would they need to be ransomed from the power of the grave? Why would they need to be redeemed from, the, from death? Because here's how Israel was going to look at death and the grave. Israel was going to look at death and the grave as an escape from the judgment of God. And God says, I'm not going to let that happen. He says, I will ransom thee from the power of the grave. You think by, you think by just getting to the grave, that's going to relinquish you from, from the judgment. You think if you'll just die, then you'll, man, you'll escape judgment. But God is saying, no, no, no. He says to death and the grave. Now, again, think of what he says. Oh, death, I will be thy plague. Oh, grave, I will be thy destruction. Now, again, why is, why is he saying that to the grave and to death, he's going to be a plague and a destruction? Because basically what God is saying, he's basically saying to the grave and to death, step aside because there's something I need to do. To the grave and to death, you can't have them yet. You can't have them yet. Why? Because they needed to experience the judgment of God. Now watch. Hold your place here. Go to the book of Revelation chapter 6 with me. Because I think we'll, we'll see the same thing. This happened. You say, surely God would not do that. I mean, why wouldn't God just allow them to die? Isn't that what part of the judgment was? No. Were many of them going to die? Yes, they were. But that wasn't just the judgment. Okay, everybody just dies. No, 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 no. Not at all. And even in Revelation chapter 6, notice what we find here. Uh, during the tribulation time when God is pouring out his wrath upon the earth. Look what he says in verse number 15. And the kings of the earth and the great men and the rich men and the chief captains and the mighty men and every bondman and every free man hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains. Why? And said to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb. For the great day of his wrath is come and who shall be able to stand? You know what they're saying? They're saying the exact same thing. We welcome death. We want to die so it gets us out of the judgment of God. We don't want to experience God's judgment so we would rather die. God says, sorry, you can't do that. You're not going to be allowed to do that. Again, watch. Chapter 6, or excuse me, chapter 9. Chapter 9. Again, during this time, you have the the fifth trumpet and the first woe sounding, and you have these locusts that come out, um, and 
they have this power as scorpions of the earth, and it's commanded them they should not hurt the grass, neither any green thing, but those that have the seal, or nor those that have the seal of God in the forehead. And it was given to them they should not kill them, but that they should be tormented five months. And their torment was at the torment of a scorpion when he strikes the man. So here these, these creatures God looses on the earth, and all, they are to torment. But watch what happens, verse 6. And in those days shall men seek death. What's the next thing it says? Shall not find it. They are wanting to die, but they cannot die. They shall desire to die, and death shall flee from them. This judgment that God is pouring out, man is saying, hey, this is too much. We, we don't want this. We don't want to endure it. It'd just be easier for us to die. Let's just die so we don't have to go through judgment. That's exactly what he's saying back here in Hosea. He's saying, look, you think that when judgment comes, you can just think, oh, we'll just die and we'll get out of it. No, no, no. He says, I'm going to have the grave and I'm going to have, the, I'm going to have death stand aside. You're going to want to die. You're going to seek death. You're going to seek the grave, but you're not going to be able to find it. And that's what he's saying here. I will ransom them from the power of the grave. The power of the grave is, is death. The power of the grave is, we know because of sin, it brings death. But he says, I'm going to keep them from that. I'm going to ransom them from the power of the grave. He says, I will redeem them from death. And then watch what he says. Oh, death, I will be thy plague. They're not going to be able to die. They're not going to be able to die. He says, oh, grave, I will be thy destruction. They're, they're, the, they're not going to be able to get to the grave. They're not going to be able to die because God says, hey, you cannot just think by all of this wickedness you have done, all of this immorality and idolatry that somehow just by death you're going to escape the judgment of God. God says, oh, no. No, not at all. You will seek death and you will seek the grave. But you're not getting the easy way out. And God says there is going to be destruction. You cannot keep God from accomplishing his plan and purpose. And when you reject God, and you reject God, and finally God says, all right, judgment is coming, and think that somehow, well, if I just, you know, I'll just, I'll just you know, I won't, as, uh, as Israel was going to do, we'll just, we'll just die, and we'll just go to the grave, and then we escape God's judgment. God says, no, you don't understand. You are going to experience this judgment. And you cannot stop it. You cannot escape it, not even in death. And that's why he says, he continues, and, and this is what Paul quotes in the New Testament uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, in verses 54 through 57. He says, So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. So yes, we go through life, and we experience death because of sin, but just as there was, no, there was going to be no deliverance from the grave, there was going to be no deliverance from death, as Hosea is saying, because they had rejected God, how are we able to have that deliverance from death and from the grave? Well, Paul tells us, but thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. He says, you want to know how to escape escape death? You want to know how to escape the grave? You want to know how to escape the, the judgment of God? It's through the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, he has offered over and over and over. He says, judgment is coming, judgment is coming. But they would not repent. 
And then he says, all right, then when judgment comes, somehow you think you're just going to be able to escape it? No, you're not going to be able to escape it. I offered you opportunity after opportunity to repent and to turn, and you would not. Now you must face judgment. The judgment's going to be there. No matter what they did, in verse 15, he says, though he be fruitful among his brethren, even though it might have seemed at the time they were, they were fruitful, they had much. But watch what he says. An east wind shall come. The wind of the Lord shall come up from the wilderness. And his spring shall become dry and his fountain shall be dried up. He shall spoil the treasure of all pleasant vessels. Samaria shall be desolate for she hath rebelled against her God. They shall fall, fall by the sword. Their infants shall be dashed in pieces. Their women sh- with child shall be ripped up. He says this judgment is coming and he even tells them where it's coming from. He says it's going to come from the east. Who was going to come from the east? The Assyrians. He even tells them, I'm even telling you who this judgment is going to come from. It's coming from the Assyrians. They're going to come from the east. They're going to come like that wind and they're going to bring absolute destruction. They're going to bring absolute chaos and destruction. Why? Because God said they were bad people? No. Watch what he says. For she hath rebelled against her God. God says because they rebelled against him, this judgment was coming. You say, well, he should have given them another chance. He's given them 600 years. Six hundred years. And they have not shown any repentance at all. And yet, again, we're not going to get into it tonight, but just notice verse number one of chapter 14. After all of that, what does he say? Oh, Israel, return unto the Lord thy God. Israel, return. Just repent. Just to turn back to God. God's telling you what's going to happen. He's telling you, if you keep going this way, it's going to bring judgment. And it's not going to be, it's not going to be kind. It's not just going to be something simple. This is going to be severe. This is going to be destructive. This is, this is going to wreak havoc upon the whole nation. Just return. Just repent. They wouldn't. They wouldn't. And how many times does God have to work in our heart and say, hey, why don't you just stop doing that? Why don't you just do what's right? Why don't you just follow me? Why don't you just trust me? Why don't you look to me instead of looking all around? Why don't you look to me as a holy and a righteous and a just God? Why don't you just look to me? Why don't you just turn to me? And what do we say? No, I'm okay. I got it figured out. I don't need you, God. I'm doing good. I got my job and I got my family and I got my finances and I got it all worked out. I don't need you, God. And God says, hey, how long is it going to take? How long is it going to take? Don't you understand? You, you, you keep going down this road. It's going to lead you farther and farther and closer and closer to judgment. Just stop, turn around, repent, come back. And we just 
keep on going, not listening to the warning signs. We just keep on going, and just like Israel, not listening to Hosea, not listening to the prophets. No, nah, we're good. We don't, need, we don't need God. We have our own gods. We, we want to be like all the other kings. We want to be like all the other nations. God said, I don't want you to be like all the other nations. I want to be your king. I want to be your God. You have a choice, Israel. You're going to experience judgment like you've never experienced before. Or you can return. You can repent. And here's the amazing thing about it. God says, if you'll just return, I'll forgive you. And all that pile, pile, that mountain of sin, he says, I'm the only one that can wipe it away. Only he can do that. And you think about the mountain of sin that you and I had before we met Jesus Christ. You think about all the sin that was piling up, piling up, and piling up, and God says, I'm just going gonna, gonna to be patient. I'm going to be patient. I'm going to be patient. I'm going to be patient. And however long it may have been, maybe it was 10 years, maybe it was 20 years, maybe it was 30 years, maybe it was 40 years, maybe it was 50 years, maybe it was 60 years, whatever. And then finally we come to recognize Jesus Christ is the only way and we, we put our faith and trust in him and there's a, there's a mountain of sin. But yet when we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, God says, let me take that mountain of sin and I'm going I'm to get rid of it for you. Would we not want to follow him? Would we not want him to be our God, to be our king, when he is the only one who can take that mountain of sin and just wash it all away? He says, return. We have a choice. We will either continue the road that we're going down, or we can return. The choice is ours. But with that choice comes responsibility for the choice we choose to keep going down this road then God says hey I warned you what happens is on you and we have no one to blame but ourselves. but at the same time if we'll repent with that choice comes that responsibility and we're able to follow the Lord and walk with him and grow but it's our choice I wonder if their heads bowed and their eyes closed. No one looking about this evening. Maybe tonight, maybe there is something that God is saying, hey, it's time you made this right. It's time you let this go. It's time you started following me. What's it going to be? Are we going to make it right? Are we going to repent? Return and follow him? Are we just going to harden our necks? Be stubborn and say, no, I'm just going to keep going the way I'm going to go. Just going to keep doing the things I'm going to do. God says, okay, you can do that. You have a free will. You can do that. But understand that going down that road also brings judgment and consequences. 
what will the choice be? Father, I pray you'd work in our hearts tonight. Lord, we truly understand and recognize that you are a holy and a just and a righteous God. Lord, our view of you does determine how we live our life. Because if we have a low view of God, we won't have a desire to follow you. We won't have a desire to, to do what you would have us to do. But it's only when we have a view, as Isaiah did, of the Lord high and lifted up. That we take our eyes off of man, we take our eyes off of what's going on around us, and we put them on you and say, God, whatever you want. Lord, you work in our hearts tonight, whatever it might be, that we would truly have the right view of you. Lord, if there's something we need to get right, may we do it tonight. As the piano begins to play softly, just remain sitting in your chairs. What is it that God is speaking to your heart about tonight? Maybe it's just we've taken our eyes off of Him. We don't have the right view of Him anymore. He's not holy to us, He's not just and righteous. We've just made Him into what we want Him to be. kind of eases our conscience to do that we don't feel as guilty because we've brought him down to our level maybe there is something in our heart that God's saying hey it's about time you stop this stop going down that road now's the time to repent and return Brother Joel, if he'll come tonight.